So, I said this was going to be the Sunday that we announced the result of all of our pledges and gifts towards our missionaries. Our goal was 245,000, and um, I am so grateful that as of this week, we are at gifts and pledges together. We're at 235 thousand dollars. We're so excited. But you're going to notice that I didn't write the final number in the bulletin yet, and here's why. Maybe if we give one more week before we put that final number in there, maybe you were planning on giving a pledge and just forgot about it. Maybe you were wondering whether your pledge was even needed. Maybe you just found out about it and you want to do something. So we're going to say next Sunday is going to be the final number. And if it's, if it's short, it's short. But we're, we're going to wait one week on that. All right. Uh, please stand with me as we read the Word of God. Um, because of how the morning services because of some of the things that we've added into the morning services, I'm not able to do the whole message. If you want the whole message this morning for on, on, on today's thing, you gotta come back tonight. Tonight will be the whole thing. This is, this is just a little abbreviated, and so, sorry. All right, here we go. John 11, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. We're gonna skip to verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the Lord is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up, 
quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was, against, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard, of, from, heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his feet was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your glory and your power, and thank you for your great love for every single one that's going through difficulty and confusion. Would you come now? Would you speak? Could each one hear something from you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we have been in a series. This is actually the last message in the series. It started off, it's called I Am. The first message was just on I Am. Jesus said before Abraham was, I Am. They picked up stones to throw at him because he was claiming to be the I Am of the Old Testament. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. And then we went on to all of the things that he is to us. He said that I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And today I am the resurrection. Point one. Jesus will one day resurrect the bodies of all who believe in him. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And then she gives to him Jewish doctrine. This is what all the Jews believed about resurrection. She says, I know that he's going to be resurrected. He's going to be resurrected on the last day. The, the, the Jewish belief was on the last day, right before judgment, believers and unbelievers would all be raised at the same time and that they would then have their judgment. And Jesus says, Jesus corrects it. He says, Martha, resurrection is not in a day. Resurrection is in a person. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And then he says this, whoever believes in me, if he dies, will live again. He's speaking of bodily resurrected. He will be bodily resurrected. And he gives this promise that he is going to be the resurrection, that at his coming, every Everyone will be resurrected who believes in him, that he has the power to resurrect everyone who believes in him. So it turns out that the raising of Lazarus from the dead after four days is a sign. It's a sign to them, but it's a sign to everybody that Jesus has the power to raise everybody from the dead who believes in him. You guys remember the the guy, the paralytic, that was let down through the roof. And um, Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And they started grumbling. They said, nobody can forgive sins except for God. How does this guy come off thinking he could forgive sins? And Jesus says this, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, rise up and be healed. The healing, he comes off that mat and the healing is the sign that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Lazarus rising from the dead is a sign, not just for them, but for all of us, that Jesus has the power not just to rise Lazarus, but to raise everyone who believes in him. He is the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> so there's, there's two groups. First he says, um, those that that believe and die, I will resurrect their bodies. And then he says this second phrase, and scholars are divided as to what the second phrase means. Here's the second phrase. And those who believe in me and live will never die. Okay, so that second phrase can mean one of two things. Both of them are true, so it doesn't really matter which one you choose. But what he's saying is either that those who live in me will never die, that in one sense, even if you do die, you're not really dying because the soul and the spirit, you have eternal life. You have eternal life and you're not really dying because you have eternal life. Your soul and your spirit are still alive even though your body is dead. You, you, there's no break in it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We, we walk from this room right into that room. We're still alive. So in one sense, we never die. That's one possibility. The second possibility is this, is Jesus is describing at his coming, there's there's two aspects to the resurrection. First, those that have died are going to be raised. Those who have perished are going to be raised imperishable. They're going to be translated in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says. They're going to receive that new body that was sown and perished into the earth. It's going to be raised up. And then there's a second group that are living at that time. And that group will immediately be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this mortal body will, will be caught up with the Lord and, and th- will be resurrected in the air. We'll literally, our bodies will be transformed in the air. And that's actually the group that says these words, O death, where is thy sting? Because they never die. They, they, they're at the coming of the Lord. First the dead rise, then those who are alive rise. And it is the resurrection. 
Both, both takes on that are true, but I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So those who have died, have fallen asleep in him, are already with him. They're with him right now. And he's going to bring them back with him when he comes. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever." So what was going on in the church is they felt like those who had died were going to miss the resurrection that was going to happen when Jesus came again. Paul said that's not true. That is not true. Those who have died, they're going to be raised first. Now the question is this. Why? Why is God doing it this way? Why can't he just give us new bodies? Why does he have to raise the old body? And, and I want to say, I want to make it very clear here. It doesn't matter whether somebody was buried or cremated. The, all it is is the seed. But that seed is very important to God. The new life, the new body, it's connected to this life and to this body. It is not, God could have got brand new furniture. No, he's restoring the old furniture. He's giving us a new body, but he wants us to see that, that he's the God of resurrection. He's the God of redemption. Those who then are living, it says, will be caught up in the clouds. The, the, Jesus is coming in the clouds. That does not mean cumulus or cirrus clouds. It is the clouds of glory that are around the throne of God. It's the Shekinah glory clouds. He comes in glory. Glory travels with Jesus. He's coming, and those who are alive will be caught up. That is, the, in Latin, it is the word rapturous, which is where the term rapture came from. <clears throat> All right. This is when our redemption is complete. So here's the truth about our salvation. We were saved, past tense. When you gave your life to Jesus at that time, you were forgiven of your sins, you were born again by the Spirit of God, you were, you were adopted into the family, out of darkness, into light, became one of his favored children, you became you became God's, and you can say that you were saved at that time. Okay? Not only were we saved, but we are being saved. That we are in a process 
where we are currently being transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. And, and that God is transforming our souls right now. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it has God at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We are, we were saved, and, and we are being saved. Our souls are currently being transformed. We, we can see redemption in our souls. But thirdly, we will be saved. Future tense. We don't talk about this much. But I want to read a couple verses to you. This is from Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. Pastor Tom, I thought we were already adopted. We are already in the family, but our, our adoption will com be complete in the future when he comes again and we get our new bodies. Listen to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So both of these say the same thing. One says we wait, we're waiting eagerly for that full redemption. The other one says it the opposite way. We eagerly wait but same thing, for our lowly bodies to be transformed, there's this picture of eagerly waiting. That, but until Jesus comes back, we're living on this earth as those who are eagerly waiting. Let me tell you the picture. It's the picture of being in line for the new roller coaster. There's an awesome roller coaster and you're excited about that roller coaster, and you're in line, and you're waiting to get on that roller coaster, and the line is long, and you don't know how long it's gonna be, and you're eagerly waiting. You can't wait to get on that roller coaster because it's going to be so awesome. So, Paul says, he quotes Isaiah and says that none who trust in him will be disappointed. Well, that's not true, I've been disappointed. My Christianity hasn't been working. Listen, you're in line. The main event hasn't even happened yet. How can you decide? The, that roller coaster is disappointed. Son, you haven't even gotten on it yet. We're in line. You haven't done the ride yet. See, the best is yet to come. We put too much pressure on this life. We've got all this pressure. We, we overreach in our Christianity and how we present it. I want to make it sound like this is going to be awesome for your life. You know what? It's amazing in this life to be with Jesus. But the best is yet to come. We need to make that part of our faith. You are in line. We are eagerly waiting. The best is yet to come. Now, God knows that we, we, we struggle with things. So he gives us pictures in nature. The temporary is going to give way to the permanent. 
So he gives us these pictures. I want you to think about a caterpillar. Let's pretend it's a really intelligent caterpillar, okay? And you come and you're interviewing this caterpillar, and uh, he's just having a caterpillar life. He's just, you know, climbing up and down the leaf he's on or the plant that he's on, and, and you say, uh, you know, when your life as a caterpillar is over, um, you're, you're going to go into a cocoon and one day you're going to be resurrected and you're going to become a butterfly. And that caterpillar, I mean, something sounds too good to be true than it usually is. And he's, he's, look, you know, he's on his little plant. He sees these butterflies going over. He says, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. But the reality is, is caterpillar is just a stage. That the permanent, the permanent picture is it's all about becoming a butterfly. It's all about that after his life as caterpillar, uh, he's going to become a, a butterfly. No, I, I think this is all there is. I'm just a caterpillar. Well, Sometimes people are going to end up just being caterpillars, but that's not why you were created. You were created to become a butterfly. You, God put it right in nature. God put the resurrection right in nature that we would be able to see it, we would be able to observe it, and say, oh my, that's what the Bible says about us. We're going to get new bodies, guys. We're going to get glorious bodies. The best is yet to come. That was unconvincing. Anyway, that's okay. <laughs> point two, last point. Jesus wants us to know he has the power of resurrection today. Mary has a broken heart. You, you, gotta, you gotta get into the humanity in the text. Here's, here's Mary and Martha. Here's what they're going through. Their brother is sick. But they know Jesus. They have served Jesus. They have had Jesus over to their house. They have taken care of his needs. We don't have any other place where they've asked anything of him. They have just welcomed him and they've served him. Now on top of this, they have seen Jesus heal total strangers. They have seen Jesus healed my oh my, a Roman centurion's servant got healed. When, when Lazarus is sick, Mary is not concerned. She's telling her friends, no, 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 we're, uh, Jesus has this. Jesus will heal him. Just, you guys just wait and see. He is good. He loves us. He's a healer. He knows us. So they send this message. They send this message because Galilee is a long way from Bethany. They send the message and, 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 and they give the, the message comes and you're, you, the one you love is, is sick and Mary and Martha, the ones you love, are the ones asking, we need, you to, we need you to come. Mary's told everybody, Jesus will come. He'll show up, don't worry. 
He's so good. He's so amazing. Well, then, then Lazarus dies. Honestly, I don't think that puts her off. I don't think she gives up then. She has seen Jesus, after somebody dies, resurrect them. She's seen it. The day he dies, she's looking. I know he's got, it's not too late, even though. But now we're on day four. And somewhere between when he dies and day four, Mary has gone very dark. She's in a double crisis now. Crisis number one, she's lost her brother. That's horrible. She loves her brother. She's gonna miss the fellowship. Crisis number two is God didn't do anything about it. The God who could have didn't do anything about it. She's having a crisis of faith that, that is way beyond Martha's crisis. So Jesus comes. Jesus comes four days late. Martha comes out to meet Jesus and says what they have said in private. If you had been here, he never would have died. But she's still saying the right thing. But even now, you are good, you are loving, you, you, you know, she's, she's just got it. Have you, did you notice Mary's not there? So then Martha goes to Mary because Jesus has asked to meet with Mary. Mary's not, Mary didn't initiate this meeting. Jesus did. And it says that Mary ran to him. But l- let, me, let me just explain that running. <laughs> this is not running to give him a hug. This is, run- this is running to tell her how she really feels. And she comes, and here's what she says to Jesus. With bitterness in her heart, if you had been here, we were there for you. We served you. We loved you. And we sent somebody to ask. And if you had been here, he would not have died. And she doesn't add any other thing to it. She just starts weeping. Have you ever had your heart broken? 2008, the fall of 2008, I I, I got into a crisis of faith. Really, really bad for a pastor to have a crisis of faith. I do not recommend it. (laughs) I had had a number of setbacks and disappointments, public humiliation, uh, things out of my control were happening, but I was Martha. I, I would always say the right thing. Say the good thing. Say, but God, you're good. God, you love us. God, you know, horrible things are happening, but that's okay because you're God, you're God, you're God. Then in September of 2008, I'm on this retreat, and I get a phone call, and it is another, it's another thing. And this is, this is, another, is another public humiliation. There had been a... Something fell through that I thought was a sure thing. I told everybody that it was going to happen, that Jesus was going to do this, and everybody clapped, and, 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 and now I'm, I'm told that it's fall through. And I couldn't, I couldn't get off the phone fast enough because I was running to Jesus, not to give him a hug. I, it wasn't to sing, I exalt thee. It, it, was time to, it was time to tell him what's going on. And I said, Lord, just, let, just like... Mary said, Lord, she's got that still. Lord, 
I need to tell you what's going on down here. Because what you have allowed to happen, you, supposedly you love me more than I love my children. But what you have allowed for me to happen, it would have been nothing for you to stop this from happening. But what you have allowed to happen to me, if it was in my power, I would never allow it to happen to one of my children. I just want you to know that. The math doesn't work. You love me. You could have done something. You let me be public humi- publicly humiliated after I'm already down. I'm already down. It was the, it was the dark night of the soul. And I just, there was nothing else to say. I just laid it out there. This is where we are right now. Now, this is a real problem if you're a pastor because you have to go preach the next Sunday. It's not like you get to tell your congregation, I'm going through a crisis, and so, you know, somebody else will preach. No, you got to go get up there, read the Bible, tell everybody how good God is. But there was a disconnect in my heart. I know what it is to have a broken heart. So Jesus, it says these words, that Jesus wept. Jesus knows what he's going to do. But he weeps with us. Even though he sees the end, even though he knows in his wisdom what he's going to do, how he's going to reveal himself, he sees what's the joy that's going to happen, but he weeps with us in the midst of our pain. He can't explain everything to us. And so he comes alongside us and weeps with us. Is anybody grateful that you can experience God's comfort even before understanding everything? That there is a comfort that we need to experience even when it's all dark, it's all bad, and you can't understand it, and he can't explain it to you. He comes alongside of us, and, and he weeps with us. And then, his bigger plan, here's what he wants to do. He wants to break all of our boxes, all the boxes that we have put around God. Here's what he says to Martha did I not say? She says, she says Lord, move the stone. No, it's, it's going to stink. He's been in there for four days. Jesus says this. Did I not say that you would see my glory if you would only believe? Here's what he says to his disciples on their way there. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. What's he saying? You guys know me as healer. But I'm more than that. I, I'm, it's going to get worse so that you can know who I am. You're going to see my glory in a new way. I've never revealed myself. You, you'll, you'll be changed. You will be transformed because Lazarus died. You're going to see something more about me than you have ever seen before. Mary's problem is she's got a box. She's got a little box of how it should be. Jesus is going to come. He's going to heal my brother. He's going to come in time. He'll come at the last minute. And, but Jesus didn't fit into that box. And so now it's over. And she went very, very dark. But let me tell you something. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, 
something crazy went off in Mary's heart. Chapter 12, the very next chapter, tells the story of what happened. They're having a party for Jesus and for Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead. Mary breaks into the party with this very expensive oil, and she pours it out, a year's wages worth of oil, of perfume. She pours out an extravagant worship at Jesus' feet. God's out of her box, and now she's out of the box in her worship. She's just, she's just all in. She's just all in. It's the most extravagant act of worship in the New Testament. So I lived that way for six months, disconnected in my heart. First time, first time I'd ever doubted the love of God since I'd been saved. Six months I lived that way. Preaching every Sunday, saying the right things, but sad in my heart because of this doubt about the love of God. The math didn't work. God's really powerful, he loves me a lot. He allowed this to happen that he could have stopped by just moving his pinky and he chose not to and how do I reconcile that with what I believe about him? So I'm, go, I'm at our, six months later, we're at our national convention. This guy is speaking from, uh, on the book of Job. He is walking back and forth like I do, telling about the book of Job, telling about this and that and all of a sudden he just stops and he looks out and he says this, do you know why God allows some things to happen to his children that you would never allow to happen to your children? No, I don't know. And he said this, because God has the power of resurrection and you don't. It healed me. It healed my heart. Oh my, of course. I made a little box and God doesn't work in those boxes. God can raise the dead. And he wanted Mary and Martha not just to know that theologically he will raise everybody when he comes again. He definitely wants us to know that. We've got new bodies coming, folks. But he also wanted them to know that he is the resurrection now. Whatever you think has died, whatever you've given up on, whatever thing that you think, it, God missed it. God was too late. God, it, 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 God could have done something, but it died. Whatever disappointment, whatever heartache, listen to me. He's got the power of resurrection. Why did it get that bad? Because he wants to show you more of himself than you ever would have seen. So here's how we're going to end. If you wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes for just a moment. The very next verse, after Paul talks about Jesus coming and the resurrection that's going to happen and to encourage one another, the very next verse is, but as far as when this is going to happen, he says, brothers and sisters, you, you know, because the Lord told us, it's going to come to humanity like a thief in the night. 
that most people, when Jesus comes back, it will feel like a thief in the night because, they were, because the thief is unexpected and he's unwelcome. And to most of the human race, Jesus coming back will be unexpected and it will be unwelcome. He describes it. He describes what people will be doing. He said it'll be like the days of Noah and Lot. People are going to be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, planting, harvesting, buying, selling. They're going to be so caught up in their lives that they're going to be unprepared for my coming. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's the amazing thing about how you get ready. Jesus makes you ready by his grace. Jesus makes us ready. He says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him, which is the word for relationship with him. So with every head bowed and every eye eye closed, the reason why we do that is because this is between you and God. This isn't between you and your mom. This isn't between you and me. This is between you and God. If you're here today and you are unprepared for his coming, if you've been living your own way, doing your own thing, and if Jesus came back right now, you are not ready. It would be unwelcome for him to come right now. The Bible says this, Jesus is knocking at the door. He is knocking at the door. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that his knocking is you opening. Just because you've got encounters with God, just because God has come close, just because God has done things to get your attention, does not mean you opened the door. It means he knocked. But if he's knocking today and you want to open the door, the reason why I have a raise of hands is somebody helped me open my door. And I just love praying to help people open their door. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking, and today you want to open the door to him. Um, Would you just raise your hand real high right now? I see those hands. I see that hand. God bless you. I see this hand. Thank you. This hand. This hand. God bless. I see that hand in the back. I see these two hands in the back. You can put those down once once you've been recognized. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. I got you. Thank you. God bless you. I got you over here and here and here. Got you. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray. Okay. Would you just slip the hand you raised over your heart right now and pray something like this? Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this earth, dying on the cross, taking my sins upon yourself. Lord, today I want to repent. I don't want to be caught living for this world, this life, have all my eggs in what's happening in this life. Jesus, please, I'm opening my door today. Thank you for knocking. Thank you for knocking during this sermon. Lord, I'm opening my door by faith right now. Please come in. Save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me your own. Adopt me as your own child. Seal me with the promise of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And then could we stand together? You know, one of the easiest things to say is, yeah, God's using circumstances to break the box that you put in it. It's so easy to say that. When it's actually happening to you, it's, it's crushing. When circumstances, and you might, be, you might have had circumstances 
that were horrible and dark and have been confusing and you haven't been able to, or you might be in the midst of them right now. Things are happening out of your control against the way you have prayed, against how you thought God was going to do it, and you've been confused and you've been heartbroken. And today you, wanna, you want Jesus to come and, and heal you. You want, you want to look higher today. You want to get God out of the box. You want to get your faith out of that box that you made of how it should work. Get out of that. I want you to just open your arms like this right now. We're going to pray. Lord, it's funny because the reason why we worship you is you're bigger than any box. That's why we worship you. The mystery of who you are. You are awesome. (laughs) Yet at the very same time, We make all kinds of boxes for you of how you should do it. And Lord, I wonder, I wonder if the reason why Ron's testimony was shared today, he had a plan of how you should do it. He told you how to do it. He told you how you'd get the most glory. And then you chose not to do that one. And how many of us have that same story? Lord, we ask you to heal our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would release in every single heart the fact that you have the power of resurrection. I pray for every dark situation, every thing that's lasted a long time that's been almost impossible, that's caused despair, that's made sorrow a day, like daily food. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, would you, would you break us out of that box of despair? Lord Jesus, come and raise that which is dead. And God, I pray for all of us that you would raise up in our hearts, out of the box, worship. Not that we're going to be as crazy as whoever we can think of, just that we'd be crazier than we currently are. That we would get out of the box of how we do it and what we've set as limits for ourselves in worship. God, I pray that you would raise up worship that Jesus is worthy of. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. We're, we're going to have ministry teams at the front. If you'd like more prayer, have a great day. Bless you.